Please leave a message after the tone. I feel that loving God and loving others is kind of the groundwork for caring for each other in community. And when we love God, we get to see his goodness come to be in our communities with people around us. And so we create that space, we create those communities by being authentic with each other, by being vulnerable with each other, by being willing to listen and learn. And so I'm just really passionate about what it means to walk with Jesus, whether you're in joy or in pain. Reconciliation. What does this mean to you? This is the Journey with Care podcast, where we navigate honest conversations about faith, culture, and loving our neighbors. I am the host, Melvina Gabosh, and I am an Indigenous lover of Jesus. Well, welcome back to another episode of Journey with Care. In the studio here, this is Wendy Park, not your regular host, Melvina Gabosh. She is taking a break after the Jesus 2022 festival, and I am honored to be here in the studio with my friend Jimmy Thunder. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here as well. Yeah, Jimmy, we've gone back quite a few years and had lots of conversations, and often I've felt after the the conversation, I'm like, man, we should have just clicked record (laughs) because there's some golden things we were just always riffing on and and talking Mm -hmm. about. A lot about reconciliation, right? Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Jimmy. Well, Jim Thunder. Jim Thunder in addition to Satchiko Lake Nidunji. I'm from uh, Satchiko Lake First Nation and uh, currently work as the Director of Economic Development for Norway House Cree Nation. Started my own nonprofit called Reconciliation Thunder about uh, three years ago and yeah, teach at Horizon College and Seminary on the topic of reconciliation and also at the University of Manitoba. So that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I, I remember one of our board members, Phil Cavey, introduced me to you and said, wow, Care Impact really needs to meet you. And uh, I remember having these conversations and it instantly reminded me that, wow, we need to work together like an organization like ourselves. We can't do this alone. We need to find other people that are like-minded, that are pursuing reconciliation. And so that's been been a joy. We've also had you speak at some of our Belong Summit. So some of our audience might recognize your name and your voice through your emceeing and speaking. You speak all over the place, though, not just uh, with us, <laughs> for sure not. And also, do you remember that time we were doing a workshop together? We've done a few workshops together, but with the king. Do you remember which king that was? King John from the the Maguari tribe in Uganda. Yeah, that was yeah. fun during the pandemic. Oh, that was great. Yeah, keeping up with all, all of these online events that are going on. And uh, yeah, that was that was really amazing. That was really something. Yeah, who gets to talk about reconciliation and colonization uh, with the king yeah. in, in Uganda? That <laughs> <laughs> was, was very memorable. Yeah. Now, you also are married. I've mm-hmm. met your wife. I know your wife. She's amazing. And have you, you've been married now five years, I think? Yeah, five years. And actually, last week would have been six years uh, to the day of uh, when I proposed to her. So I we saw just, your uh, video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah. That was... Uh, that was a lot of fun to uh, to put together. Yeah, so we even we watch it even now. You know, every year it's the anniversary of of the proposal. And then we have the anniversary of the wedding, and so yeah. Yeah, of- I like following you guys on social media because you have the best date nights. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody needs inspiration in that, as a married couple, you guys lead well. Is it every week that you go on dates? Yeah. It we, feels we, like it. We try for every week, and uh, sometimes it's just a movie. Sometimes we try something new, but uh, yeah, we post about it just, but we didn't expect it to sort of take off as much as it did, <laughs> you know? it's uh, But yeah, you know, trying new things. We did axe throwing one time, and uh, she How taught me- How did that me- go? Oh, we didn't hit it. I didn't land a single one, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, she taught me something in Patwa at the end. And, and uh, it goes something like, um, no some shame. You mean for tell me, say, you cannot throw one of them acts damn good? <laughs> <laughs> you can really pull off that Jamaican accent there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so funny. And then, and then, so we posted that one at the end of our date nights. And mm-hmm. uh, all of our Jamaican friends just thought it was hilarious. I don't know. There's something about my pronunciation or delivery, but... <laughs> That just cracks them up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yep. no, that's so good. I guess that's part of your prevention in, in reconciliation, right, for marriages. Is that your uh, number one tip for 
reconciliation and marriage, do lots of date nights. Oh, exactly. And I think it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to just get busy, you know, and just not actually, because we schedule them, you know, we schedule them on Fridays, every Friday, just make time for it, you know, and people forget to do that, you know. Gotta be intentional. Exactly. You know. Even with those closest to you. Exactly. Oh, I guess I, that that's a good reminder. I'm going to have to go on a date with Harold when I when I get home. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and how would your wife describe your vision and drive? You are a very driven person. Anyone mm-hmm. that knows you knows that you've got a million balls in the air and you're juggling them all and very creative about <laughs> it. But how would your wife describe to our audience your your vision, your passion? Well, my wife is my biggest fan, you know? She's my number one fan. You know, it's like... Uh, when I look in the mirror, I, I see someone, but she sees someone entirely different. And so and so that's one thing I really appreciate about my wife is she's that strong support. She's that strong uh, sort of anchor, you know, no matter what I'm feeling, she sort of balances me out, you know. And uh, so I guess her description is just sort of somebody who's out to really care about being Jesus in the world and expressing love and living out our values, you know, and mm. and what that means in all the different contexts, including reconciliation. But it comes basically down to, like, who does God want us to be and how does God want us to live our lives, you know? So good. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So according to the Thunder Dictionary, what would you say is your definition of reconciliation? I would say reconciliation is when two parties come together, come to an agreement of a wrong being done, and have a renewed commitment to rebuild a relationship and to make amends and to commit to a better relationship into the future. Mm, very good. And and so much of what you're doing, uh, and I encourage the followers, how can they follow you with the, what you're doing with Reconciliation Thunder, Circles for Reconciliation, another organization you've been partnering with? Um, how can they follow those initiatives that you, you're actively doing? Yeah, you can go to reconciliationthunder.org. You can sign up for our mailing list, and you can be kept up to date on new events and initiatives that we're doing such as the uh, 94 and 94 campaign that's coming up. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Tell us a little bit about this new campaign coming up, because this is something we want our followers to be really closely following. Yeah, so this campaign started last year, was uh, sort of an inspired by the initial discovery of children in Kamloops, BC, in the unmarked graves. And what we were seeing is that there's a lot of people who have this now renewed interest in learning about reconciliation and learning about our history but it's just amazing to realize that we don't even have a, a common base yet to begin with. We're not even at square one together. And so a great starting point is to look at the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Not only the final report and all the research that's been done, but even just start at square one and just look at the 94 calls to action. How many Canadians do we have even today that don't know what the 94 calls to action are, what's in there, what are the themes? and much less which one of the calls to action can they commit to working on. And a lot of misconceptions are that the calls to action are directed towards the government, but it's actually meant for each member of Canadian society. There's even a whole section for the church, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah, there definitely is, you know. And so and so the campaign is basically about let's go through all of these calls to action one by one every day for 94 days and let's commit to reading each and every one of them. And not just ourselves, but let's challenge all those around us, everyone in our networks, our organizations. Let's get people to read these and to commit to action on them. And so basically, we post one call to action every day on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram. That's It's going to be shared on the Reconciliation Thunder social media pages, Circles for Reconciliation pages. But now this year, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation is also working with us. That is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we had a meeting with them. You introduced me to them uh, a couple of years ago before the pandemic to see them on board with what you're doing. I think that is just fantastic. You said the following just shot up the the instant you guys uh, merged (laughs) or not merged, but worked together. Absolutely. Yeah, you and I met with Rai Moran. Uh, way back uh, a couple of years ago. And so now there's there's a new leader of the National Center of Truth and Reconciliation. But yeah, to your point, if we look at all of the followers and the people who have expressed interest in the 94-94 campaign for the last year, both those that are, that are coming from the Circles for Reconciliation side and the Reconciliation Thunder side, if you take those numbers and now we add on the those who are already following the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, 
that number is about 10 times as big as what we have so far. So on day one, it's already going to be 10 times more effective on the very first day. Yeah. So let's talk to the audience that are listening here that maybe aren't connected to reconciliation. They're newer to understanding our Canadian history and the First Nations people. Uh, maybe they're not part of, we're going to get into this yet, about the uh, the Pope's visit. They're not from the Catholic tradition. Let's talk to that broader Christian audience, for example, that aren't connected. They are not Indigenous. How do they connect? What's in it for them? And what is it that they need to do? How would you love to address them in this 94 Calls to Action? Yeah, so when we talk about reconciliation, let's go back to the, the very beginning. When I defined reconciliation earlier, I said reconciliation is two parties coming together, coming to a realization of wrong being done, coming to an agreement of living together, rebuilding the relationship, and righting the wrongs that have been done. So that's, that's reconciliation both on an individual level, on a group level, but even on a nation-to-nation -nation level like what we're talking about. And I think it's really important for all of us, not just as Christians, but as Canadians generally, to know our history and to know what has happened and to understand the legal implications. I think that a lot of times, Christians, we we don't always pay attention to the, the legalities of what it is to, to be a Canadian. So, for example, if we look at Section 35 of the Canadian Constitution, it recognizes that, you know, First Nations are sovereign nations. So, they're people that need to be reconciled with. And I think that sometimes we forget that that actually is something that needs to happen just in terms of being a good person, a good Canadian person. Now, as Christians, I think that we have a larger obligation to unpack that even further and to express the love of God through conversations about reconciliation. Yeah, because if we go further back, beyond the Canadian history, the time that uh, Canada became a nation, and we look at Scripture, it's such a biblically rooted word and loaded term mm -hmm. that is just the heart of God, reconciling mm -hmm. us to himself, reconciling people to each other. This isn't something foreign that is a government issue. Uh, we don't have to be woke. Yeah. Uh, we have to be Christian, <laughs> right, to, to really see that reconciliation is for us. It's not something out there that we have to be political or liberal or anything. It's actually what it means to be a follower of Christ, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so the 94 Calls to Action, this campaign that you're starting, how can people participate in that? What, what would you love to see the broader Canadian public to respond to this campaign? Yeah, I think to start by just elaborating on what you're saying, like reconciliation really is just about us being Christian. And it's actually a lot more simple than people think. Like we use the word decolonizing. Mm -hmm. Decolonizing is a scary word, but it's basically just asking ourselves, okay, so over the past 500 years or so, or 600 years, what has been added to our Christian beliefs and our Christian traditions that isn't actually originally from the Bible? So what are the things that people with political agendas and cultural values that we've sort of already added that weren't part originally part of what Christ intended? And so specifically an example of that would be what is known as the Doctrine of Discovery or the Papal Bulls. Yes, let's go there. Yeah. Talk to, talk to our audience about that because for some people it'll be very new. Yeah. Uh, tell us what that is and keep going. Yeah, so essentially it's so far back that we don't really think about it anymore and we don't, we don't talk about it. And as Christians, it's like, well, what's that? Or even what's a Papal Bull, you know, because it's so far back into our history. And so essentially a papal bull is, it's sort of the way that the Pope of the time would sort of issue like these decrees or these, these uh, teachings or laws. Mm -hmm. And um, there were three papal bulls. They're called Dum Diversa, Intercatera, and Romanus Pontifex. And basically these, these three constitute a teaching called the Doctrine of Discovery or Terra Nullius. So terra means land and nullius means empty. So basically what it taught was it was the church saying that if any land is discovered, that it has not been cultivated by Christians, then it's basically empty land. And according to that teaching, indigenous peoples are seen as flora and fauna. So it's a teaching that was devastating to the indigenous peoples of North America. And even though it's so far back, 
And it, South America, Central America, it's global too, yeah, right? They had that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, Christians might think, well, that's so far back, it's it doesn't matter anymore, but it absolutely does. There were these cases known as the Marshall Trilogy, in which case the Supreme Court of the United States uh, made a ruling using terra nullius. And what that did, it was introduced it into case law in the United States. And there was another case that happened in Canadian history that embedded the same thing into Canadian case law. And what that has actually done is really devastated the living conditions, current living conditions for First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people in Canada. So it's been absolutely terrible. And so when we think about decolonizing our faith, it's about taking these things that should never have been there in the first place and getting rid of them and rejecting them. And uh, it's also not just about terra nullius, but just, you know, anything that we have within our Christian faith that is basically a moral defense of Western imperialism over indigenous lands. It's something that we just got to get rid of because it's not something that Christ ever intended to be part of our theology or our faith or our practice. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Thanks for giving us a good recap over that. You do a lot of teaching on this too, That I and I'm always your student, so I'm always learning <laughs> new things. I, I picked up a few new things that I'm going to keep in my computer upstairs here for future conversations. But if you ever want to figure out what is Christian and what is culture, one way to practically challenge yourself in this, and, and this is for our listeners, is immerse yourself in a, another church where you are the minority or when you are in another country, immerse yourself. And rather than judging and saying, how does their faith measure up and who are they, just sit there and see them as the image of God and say, what do I have to learn? What jars at me? It's okay that things jar at you because those are indicators actually that we're all made differently, you know, and, and we can celebrate our differences. We don't have to be threatened by uh, nonconformity. And, and there's a lot that I have learned over the years and continue to learn the more that I get to do networking for a living. How good is that, right? <laughs> and so the more I interact with people different from myself, the more I actually learn the fullness of God. Because God is so expansive, right? We can never mm -hmm. understand him fully. But as I get to know image bearers of indigenous people, as I get to know uh, image bearers within the Catholic tradition or the charismatic and all the denominations, we could go there as well. They're all cultures of themselves. We often can go into this morality or spiritual pride, um, systemic pride that we, we find ourselves that we've sort of got the corner on God. We have the theology. But it's good to surround ourselves with different-minded people and different cultures. Mm -hmm. um, God isn't threatened by our cultures. Yeah, and and I think God allows us to embrace them, you know? And I think that's to your earlier point about the denominations. If we look at how Christianity is expressed all over the world, and it just shows how God allows us to worship in our own way. Even today— in the church that we're recording in right now, you know, like in, in the churches that we celebrate every Sunday in Canada, well, you know, what language are we worshiping in and what instruments are we using? You know, we're using... As long as it has Yamaha. Come on, Jim. <laughs> 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 Any indigenous drums? Uh, no, but it is an issue. I, I kind of say tongue in cheek, but people get the heebie-jeebies when they see a traditional drum mm -hmm. made even for worship. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Yeah, it's like I was saying, you know, like God does give us the ability to worship in our in our own culture. So we're worshiping in English and we're using electric guitars and drums and pianos. And these are things that we're comfortable with so that when people come to church on Sunday morning within their own culture, they're they're comfortable. And so the trouble becomes if we're only immersed in our own culture, then we think that the worshiping God using this culture is the only way to worship God. And so it's it becomes really beneficial. Even just at the at, at the starting point, go out and explore some different cultures. Go have some, you know, cross-cultural experiences, go overseas and just and just witness the culture and understand what is culture. Because a lot of times we don't think about the elements of culture. We just we're immersed in it. And it's not just folklorama and eating injera and sushi, right? <laughs> it's actually right. <laughs> in proximity with people mm -hmm. because sushi is not made in the image of Christ. That person is. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And 
that's that's the key thing is is if we don't even understand what culture actually is then how can we meaningfully have conversations about faith and culture and where do we see those interactions because when i when i was talking earlier about decolonizing it doesn't necessarily mean that you just get rid of all forms of culture right god is not asking us to go back and worship with harps and lyres and flutes and whatever is else is described in the old testament he allows us to use our own culture and to and to worship however we're comfortable and so the sometimes the best people to determine what is culturally appropriate are the practitioners of that particular culture. Right. It's like worshiping in spirit and in truth. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. It's the authenticity of the heart. Yeah. That God's after. Yeah, who and who is able to say whether or not we're worshiping in spirit and truth other than the practitioners of that one culture to other members of that culture. So I think that it becomes challenging when we try to evaluate how other cultures worship God and how other cultures praise God, you know, I think the people to best evaluate are are those Christian leaders themselves within each each cultural tradition. Well said, well said. And would you say is God colorblind? <laughs> that's uh, that's. I, I hear it a lot. A lot of people <laughs> like we don't see color. Yeah, we just love the person. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I'm being it, a little facetious here. But. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it sounds good. You know, it it, it sounds like that's uh, a person who is uh, being genuine and and not being racist and that kind of thing. But you know, the the hard truth of that is that is a form of racism. It's a laissez-faire racism, because what you're doing is you're taking one aspect of somebody's whole identity and you're just erasing them. And and when you do that, what do you assume? You assume that that person is a practitioner of your own culture. Even with my wife, you know, my wife is Jamaican and, you know, we just love celebrating her culture and learning about her culture mm-hmm. and, and that kind of a thing. And so, so I think that for someone to say, oh, I'm, I'm colorblind, uh, I don't see your, your race, you know, well, you're not seeing her Jamaican history, the, you know, the Jamaican, like everything about her culture that she truly loves. And uh, you're really doing a person a real disservice by saying things like that. Yeah, no, so true. Are you okay with getting a little personal here? Mm-hmm. What has been your experience growing up with your background, being Indigenous and growing in your faith? What has that looked like? Can you tell us what it means growing up to find your true indigeneity and your faith yeah. to make it real and authentic? Because you are an authentic person. Mm-hmm. That I'll vouch for, but how have you gotten this far? Yeah, it's been a long, long journey. And it's kind of funny because we talked earlier about how, you know, I, I do a lot of public speaking and teaching. Mm-hmm. One of the first ones was actually at the at the Belong Summit. Yeah, you, know? you created that video then. Yeah, for that, it, that was, it was just a spoken word poem at the time. But the, that was really what took off a lot of what I do now is just like I delivered it once and then got some invitations, which led to more invitations. And it was just as it natural. It was so good. <laughs> it was- so good, y'all. We're going to put that link into the show notes because you will want to watch and listen to to the words. It's just well orchestrated. And we were privileged to be your first audience. Yeah. And it was it was really challenging to put together because I was being very authentic and I was wondering if I should because... Because the way that I presented it, it was it's a it's called "Dear Younger Me," an open letter to my younger self, an honest, true, open letter to my younger self about the things that I really wish I would have known when I was younger. Mm. And so it's sort of putting myself out there of just saying, "Hey, I didn't always know what I know now. I had to learn it." So there was a period in my life where I was just I, I just I had a lot that I needed to learn, but I decided I wanted to do it. I wanted to put it this way. I wanted to be vulnerable because. If I can stand in front of people and say, hey, look, I had to learn this, then maybe people can listen to it and say, hey, maybe I should learn this too. And so originally what I did is I had something like 20 pages of notes, but I knew that uh, what you had asked was to put put it into some artistic expression. So I I wanted to put it into a a spoken word poem. So I took the 20 pages, shortened it down to 10, and then shortened it further, (laughs) and then find a way to make it sort of rhyme. Yeah, put a lot of thought into it and delivered it. And it just talks about a lot about quick summary of everything that I honestly needed, needed to learn and things that dramatically changed my perspective of There's who I am. There's some Mythbusters in there as well, yeah. too, right? Challenging yeah. our own assumptions, which I thought was so relatable for everybody. Yeah. I use the word decolonize my mind, you mm-hmm. know? So decolonizing my thinking. And 
and and trying to trying to really uh, demystify the word decolonize because it's basically taking ideas that should never have been there in the first place and uh, undoing the effects of colonialism and trying to just be authentic and true and just really seeing reality a little bit more clearer. So I had, yeah, 10 different ideas that I had and each verse goes over each of those different ideas and unpacks it and explains why it needed to be undone or decolonized. Yeah. No, I learned from that. Actually, one of my social media profiles, you, know, you have to do these descriptions. They're hard to describe. I went off of what you had taught me through that. And I said, I'm a Jesus follower in the process of decolonizing. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for giving me language yeah. to some of these processes that I am going through. As a white person, I could identify with what you were going through, finding your indigenous roots and uh, learning from it. Mm -hmm. Hey, I, I'm wondering if we could um, really look at a recent piece of history, the Pope's visit. Mm. Um, he was here now just in July 24th to 29th, so about a week. He came to Canada, Pope Francis, and they called this whole thing, this whole tour, the walking together. Good marketing, I'd say. <laughs> it fits with care impact of doing life together, journeying together. But um, he was here and stopped in the provinces of Alberta, Quebec, and the territory of Nunavut. And he came primarily to apologize, right? To apologize mm -hmm. and also for reconciliation. Apologize for the residential schools and then reconciliation with the, the country's indigenous peoples. Uh, can you tell me your thoughts on this visit? Will this have an impact? And did it impact you? Or, or do you have any questions around that or thoughts related to this recent visit? Yeah. Is it hype or, or are you excited about it? Tell me. I think I'll start by saying, um, well, positioning myself a little bit because I'm not Catholic. I right. am Indigenous. I haven't been to residential school. Uh, my father has been to day school, and I didn't find that out until way later. I, mm. I could have even found out even after he had passed, you know? So, and my uncles have been to residential school. So, so a couple layers of, of separation there, and but still a lot to, to think and reflect on. I think that um, one of the key things is to recognize that he came as a result of an invitation by uh, Wilton Littlechild, who has been working for ages and ages to try to get this happening. And so, I'm just so inspired by his leadership and the difference that he's made in his lifetime. He was one of the commissioners of the Truth and Reconciliation mm -hmm. Commission. I, I wouldn't doubt that it's because of his influence that we have this as one of the calls to action, one of the 94 calls yeah. to action that is now fulfilled because of this visit. So I think it's just a really great step forward and it's really monumental. I've heard mixed thoughts from different Indigenous people. I know people very close to me for whom this was really, really impactful. And elders who were watching the apology with their grandchildren and explaining to their grandchildren, you know, that this, this man is coming and something really terrible happened in the past and now he's here to say he's sore, you know, and explaining that to their kids and kids coming over and giving them a hug, you know, and saying everything is okay, you know. So just a really, really uh, spiritual, deep experience for those people. And then you have people on the other side who are just really, really angry, you know, that, sure. uh, you know, so much has been spent to make this happen. And then he came at an invitation. So, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of mixed feelings out there. A lot of people that are still really hurt by what has happened, what the, what the church has done, you know. And I think like in any case scenario, and this is certainly blown out of proportion in the, the extreme tragedy that's happened over the years in history the proof is in the pudding, right? So people can honestly believe that or desire the best, hope for the best. Maybe a, a message to, we have actually, a Care Impact has been growing more and more connections and networking in the Catholic world, which has been wonderful for me to connect as a Mennonite girl, hmm. connecting with the Catholics, talking about reconciliation. There's just been some really neat God stories that are happening across Canada. And I've seen the Holy Spirit where we've done church. <laughs> with with priests and leaders within the Catholic Church that surprised even my own understanding and my own experience with the Catholic Church. Just so many good people that we have come in contact. But for Catholic believers, everyday people that would call themselves Catholic, 
Would you have, as a person with Reconciliation Thunder, would you have any practical advice, even with the 94, this new campaign you're coming, is there anything practical that they can love their neighbors or be agents of reconciliation, really put the Pope's words into action? Uh, What would you say to a, a Catholic neighbor of yours that is seeking reconciliation as well? I'd say one of the most fundamental things to to zero in on in the Pope's apology was that this is just the beginning, that this is just a start. And so if we look back in 2008, our prime minister gave an apology, but we all recognize that as significant as that was, there's years, decades, centuries of work that needs to be done as a result and as follow-up. And so in this case, let's recognize as well that there's a lot of work. There's a lot of what's next that we need to be thinking about. And one of the things that stood out to a lot of Indigenous peoples was the there wasn't any recognition or mentioning of the doctrine of discovery or I noticed Terranolis. that, yes. And yeah. It's been coming up in, in, in the news too. Like, when are, is he going to talk about that? Yeah, so that's, and that's a big piece. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think it was great that we opened up explaining what that concept was and why it's so important. And it's relevant even today across Canada. So in terms of what's next, it's it's good for for everyone to know about that, you know, Catholics included, but also to recognize that shortly after the initial release of the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the Canadian Council of Catholic Bishops, they actually put a statement out that I thought was extremely well written and well thought out. And it was actually in their statement that I learned a lot of what I know about the doctrine of discovery and Terra Nullius, and the names of the papal bulls and what they were. And, and I think it's incredibly... That's public uh, link? Yeah, there's a public link to it. Okay. In the course that I've been teaching at Horizon College, it's required reading. It's part of the reading package. So I would I would really recommend reading that in its we'll entirety. We'll put it in the show notes as well so people can read it. Yeah, exactly. So I would read that in, in its entirety. It's a bit long, but it's been well thought out and well put together. And I think like, you know, it's a great... It's great leadership from those Catholic leaders, and I think that we need to to do that not only just in the Catholic tradition, but in every tradition where it's the leaders at the top influence the people all throughout Canada. And realizing that reconciliation is not just something that we leave to the people at uh, our representative organizations, but in, in every single church all across Canada, Murray Sinclair had said that reconciliation needs to take place in every sector across the entirety of Canada. And so as Christians, that's what we should be doing. We should be learning about that history. We should be learning from documents such as this statement that was created by the Canadian Council of Catholic Bishops and making sure we all know about it and making sure we're all aware and looking at what next steps we can do as a result of that knowledge. No, that's really good. You actually answered my next question because I think so often we think, okay, that's a Catholic thing. And and if you're not Catholic, you don't have that tradition. You can sort of check out and say, well, that's not, I don't have anything to do with that. That's not my history. We, we've we got this, you know, and we sort of cancel that and say, we've got it, right? Mm-hmm. But actually that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? We, we all have an aspect of reconciliation to take hold of. It's not just for the Catholic people, not to mention that the, the church, the Catholic church, the true sense of the Catholic word is the, the whole church, right? Mm-hmm. And we are not two separate bodies. We are one body. And if one suffers, we all suffer, right? And so it's a matter of how do we we walk together in a good way as the church and represent unity. Uh, so I think that's important that for all my non-Catholic followers of Christ, let's not check out on these things. We actually have to have a posture of leaning in and learning. I think a sign of growth is that we're always in a learning mindset, growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we have a fixed mindset that we, we've got the corner on theology, we've got the corner on our positional statements of this, that, and the other thing, and we love all cultures because we go to Folklorama, we've probably <laughs> minimized our ability to love, mm-hmm. right? And so this is for everybody. I, I was actually reading through a different document. It's a letter to—I don't know if you've read this—a letter written by Pope Francis in 2019, right before the pandemic broke out. But he wrote a letter addressing young people and the church. And I know you have a, a young audience as well. You you reach all ages. 
But you particularly, as a non-old person, <laughs> you have a way of connecting to younger generations. And I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by the Pope's vigor differently than I've seen in the past. I've always had a, an intrigue w- since Pope Francis came into power, or whatever you call it. <laughs> but there's this uh, letter on young people and the church called Christ is Alive, or, or Christus Vivit is a Latin term. And there's a few statements that I would like to just point out. He says, make a ruckus. Hmm. And so I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty bold for a pope to say, make a ruckus. And I think of reconciliation is making a ruckus. It's not just like, oh, let's just link arms and be good. No, let's get gritty. Hmm. And I see the the work that you're doing with Reconciliation Thunder and getting out there in social media. You're making a ruckus in a good way, hmm. right? We don't just let things slide. We're going to bring things out in the open. And as much as possible, Care Impact wants to continue to, to be voices with that and, and put that out there. And with our networks, we want your work to be seen. That's making a ruckus. So, hmm. so I think there's some synergy there with what, yeah. what is on here. He also says that it's easy. He also warns the young people that it's easy to fall into complacency or cynicism. And I think that goes for all people, not just the young people. But he warns us to not go into just be cynics and Hmm. scoffers on the side. Get involved. Be part of the change that you want to see. It's also, he talks about in paragraph 41, it's okay to question our faith. Now, Hmm. this is coming from a pope. I thought this was kind of fascinating. It had me intrigued. He says this, a church always on the defenses, which loses her humility and stops listening to others, which leaves no room for questions, loses her youth and turns into a museum. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So I just want to share some of these words because this is an encouragement to you. He he came here to uh, pursue reconciliation. And I can't be a judge of uh, the whole position. I'm not Catholic myself. But I thought those were some powerful words. It's okay to question our faith. Let's not be a museum. Let's not lose our next generation because we don't have to be defensive of our faith. We can be learners. We, it's okay. It's okay for me to have questions or not have it together, to be learners. And that doesn't wow. stop me be, from being a reconciler. It doesn't stop you. Mm-hmm. We're always learning, right? It's, it's really amazing because um, the last time that I was participating in an event at Horizon College and Seminary where I teach, it was a conference where you have the directors of different post-secondary higher Christian education institutions coming together. And they were talking about how this is now the first generation where there's a higher number of Canadians that did not grow up in the church than those that did. Mm. And we're seeing that shift. And they were talking about, so how do we be, how do we be relevant? And how do we, how do we really think about how we're doing things? And there's a need to you know, shake things up. There's a need to do things differently. There's a need for us to look at the core of what it does it truly mean to be a Christian and how do you communicate that? And I think it's just a natural part of if we're doing God's work and if we're doing the work of Christ and we want to be the salt of the earth and we want to be the light of the earth, it's time to change how we're doing things. It's how it's time to you know, not just sit in our box where we're comfortable because doing things because this is the way that we've always done it. It's time for us to think about, well, what is the core that God wants us to truly do? And how do we, how do we package that? How do we share God's love? How do we share what God has done for us? And how do we make that be the core of our message and not, and not the exterior things of how it's packaged and the shell of it all, you know, like how do we, how do we really do that in, in today's generation? Yeah, and I think with that, we have to call out fear mm-hmm. within ourselves, within our systems, within our churches, within our society. We need to call out fear and and be okay with that discomfort. I often call it holy discomfort. Mm. It, it's okay to feel discomforted if it leads us to love better, you know, because perfect love casts out all fear. If yeah. we love perfectly, we're going to call out fear. There's always going to be something within me tugging at me and saying, oh, but be fearful of this. But love can overshadow that. Yeah. There's a saying that you need to learn to be uncomfortable till you get comfortable with discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I think within the Christian experience, we can fall into, yes, God is peace, God is shalom, and we we can be comforted by God. He is the good shepherd. 
But I think God came to make a ruckus. Yeah. God came to stir the pot. God came to woo us, and it was gritty. It was something more deep than just complacent. He didn't put us into sleep. Uh, he called the church to rise up. It wasn't a nap session and just listen and, and listen to what we feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly important in the context that the Pope wrote the letter because this is for the next generation. Yes. This is really a call out and a challenge for them because God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And it's it's important for us to make sure that our youth know that and to make sure that they know that God has called them to do these great things. And some of those quotes and words, it reminds me of things that I came across when I was a young person. There was a, it's actually a, a framed large speech of Nellie McClung at the uh, high school that I went to. And, and some of the themes is that is just recognizing that you, you don't want your life to pass through like a, like a cord. You know, you, you want to have that knot where there's something that of your life that stays and sticks before you pass on to the next life. And, and also in the speech, it was a call out to young people to, to find your place and, uh, and to change the world because, uh, you know, it's something to the effect of the speech was uh, that it's the only thing that ever really has is, is a group of people, you know, a small group of young people with a vision, you know. And so so I think that it's important for the young people listening to to recognize that and for us as well to to give them that support. Us old people, right? <laughs> middle age. <laughs> Are we there yet? When do we know we're middle age? <laughs> we just, we define ourselves wherever we think we're at. Okay. That's where we are. <laughs> we're young at heart. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I have to share one more quote then from this same letter in paragraph 162, because he writes to what you were just saying. And I hmm. think uh, this really ties in well. You have to discover who you are and develop your own way of being holy whatever others may say or think. Becoming a saint means becoming more fully yourself, becoming what the Lord wished to dream and create and not a photocopy. Your life ought to be a prophetic stimulus to others and leave a mark on this world, the unique mark that only you can leave. Whereas if you simply copy someone else, you will deprive this earth and heaven too of something that no one else can offer. Wow. It, it's so amazing because it's just the antithesis of what you would expect from a pope or from any church leader. Because I think that for church leaders, it's very, it's very safe and it's it's very comforting to think that hey, we we got it, we have it all figured out. We know we know what God's truth is, and we know what the gospel is, and we're the best at interpreting it. And and if you come to our church, then you can share that same comfort because <laughs> because now all of us in this group, we've got it right. And the further people deviate from our interpretation of the truth, the further they deviate from God's truth. And so there's a lot of comfort in, in that. And so what he's doing is he's blowing sort of the cover off of that and saying like, no, like you trust God, you know, the Holy Spirit is your teacher and God is here teaching us and he's okay with this, this difference. And it's okay with, you know, asking these questions because it always, it always keeps us one to learn and follow mm. and chase after God and who God is. And and that I think goes hand in hand with what we we're talking earlier about reverence um, or right. relevance, you know, is just, it's a, this true authentic relationship with God where you're constantly learning and trying to grow and try to be who God wants you to be. And that's the, that's the core of our faith. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. And I think that we're going to see a lot of young people coming up in this next generation that catch wind of that and yeah. are able to really shake things up for the generations to follow. And there's freedom in that, right? It's not yeah. this heavy doom and gloom. We've got to create reconciliation. We've got to fix the, the brokenness of our past. Yes, all of those things are true. And we can be our authentic self. We don't have to be photocopies. Yeah. Like, I think your authenticity that you bring into the room in whatever you're doing, whether in your professional as MBA, in your professional life, or in your reconciliation thunder and all the different facets that you you are involved with, you just got to show up and be you. <laughs> Isn't that an encouragement to all of us to, yeah. to just be you? Yeah. God has created a, a space for each and every one of us, you know, and like even when we look back to other Christian leaders, Martin Luther King, mm. he was saying that, you know, if you cannot be a tree, just be bush. If you cannot be a sun, just be a star. But in any case, to be the best possible version of you. And, and I think that's what God calls for each of us. Because if just by being ourselves and our own version of ourselves, we're just doing what God has called us to do. And one of the things, when I was a young person, I was thinking, 
am I smart enough to do this or to do that? And and I just got this revelation one time, just uh, in my quiet time with God, where I felt God saying to me, you know what? You're as smart as you need to be to accomplish the purpose for which I've called you, you know? And mm. then and then that was the last I've worried about it. And I think that we have to we have to give that kind of assurance to young people because it doesn't really matter that if your calling is the same as the person next to you, it's that you have one and God made it and he's made you just as qualified and capable to accomplish the purpose for which he's created you individually. And you just got to be yourself. Just show up and be yourself. I think it's a challenge out there to not fit into a mold, mm-hmm. but to find where God really has us and, and wants us to be. Now, I want to just, we have to close. I can't imagine uh, closing this conversation because we could keep <laughs> talking for hours I know. But before we close, you know that Care Impact, you've been around, journeyed with us, influenced us a lot along the way. But Care Impact is all about connecting and equipping the church, the whole church, all denominations, to journey well in community with children and families. What ways can people bring reconciliation into their communities? There's a lot of children and families. At the end of the day, yes, we can look at all the statistics and the historical facts and the the Pope's visit and all these things. But at the end of the day, right now, down our church's streets are group homes that they don't know about. There's single moms that are at, at risk of losing their children. There's youth aging out of care. There are just the statistics of addictions and suicide rates. That's reality in our neighborhoods. What advice do you have for people to really journey well in community with children and families? How can the church get involved? I think that there's there's so many ways that it's almost analysis paralysis. You know, there's yes. there's almost I hesitate to say, it, but there's almost nothing that you can do that that is really it's it's better than nothing. Uh, and I there's think there's not a quick fix, is what you're saying. There's not a quick fix, um, and there's so many options. Part of what we're doing with our with the our ninety four ninety four campaign this year is having a tool called a, a reconciliation plan and teaching people what that is and how to do it. Because there's so many things to do, how do you put a framework of, okay, what's step one, what's step right. two, what's step three? And I think using a reconciliation plan is a good way to start. So so I would, I would put that as a recommendation out there. But also just recognizing that, you know, work that's being done in relationship with a, a posture of continuous learning is absolutely a, essential. And and it's important to have that attitude. And if you have that that attitude of and posture of learning, then you're going to go so far. You know, you're going to go much farther than those who think that they have it already made and they've already decided what proper care looks like. Even from the Christian perspective, thinking that uh, they they already know what reconciliation should be, and and their picture is far different from what we understand it to be. You know, so a lot of those things I think are are very important, and so just want to continue to encourage people to to grow in their journey of learning and to build authentic relationships with Indigenous people and continue to listen to those Indigenous voices because there are a lot of them out there and a lot of things published and they just need people to hear and people to act on them. Mm-hmm. And reconciliation, again, is about relationship, right? It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a, just an initiative or a campaign per se. But unless we get in proximity with people and get to know people, it can be a lot of talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's really about bringing people together of different minds. And and you knew that we, uh, as Care Impact, we launched the portal here in Canada, the Care mm-hmm. Portal. Um, that's one of the reasons why we did bring the portal. It's a platform that connects the needs of the community to congregations that care right in their community. One of the problems we were trying to address is that there are caring people. I venture to say there's no jerk listening to this podcast <laughs> right now. They're good people, right? Uh, I've just only, I've met so many great people and people that do care. Hmm. But like I said, they won't know with the Privacy Act and our individualistic society, we just don't know who's in need and which neighbor and how to really go about it. We're sometimes afraid to knock on the door next door. And Privacy Acts, we don't know who's in care and where the group homes are, even though they're right in our backyards, mm. even though prostitution is happening right in our suburban neighborhoods, even though the drug trafficking is happening in the gangs and, and, and all of these things, 
we can look on the headlines, but they're actually in our backyard, but we just don't know it. I was fortunate. My husband and I were working Salvation Army, and so that really opened my eyes as Mm. I worked with children and families. But there are a lot of good people that do want to care. But the problem that we're trying to solve with the portal is that when we build relationship, again, it's through relationship and building trust with agencies and frontline workers, they know where those children are. They're Mm. staying up at night for them. They know that if they could only get a few supports in a healthy community, mom could keep her children. They Mm. know that if if this youth had a a safe place to go for Thanksgiving and Easter and and weekends and in between, that this aging out youth wouldn't fall into trafficking. Mm. But they stay up at night with that, and these kids become statistics. And so as we build trust with them, to us, that's our act of reconciliation behind the scenes. We're not the front lines, but we find other people who are doing it. And then building a relationship with the church and finding these connected, loving people and saying, you know what, we have this academy. You've done some of the teaching for us as well for the the churches that are participating. And we have this portal. That way in 24-7, they can get real-time requests in their communities of all of these circumstances that I've mentioned can come to their inbox, (laughs) Hmm. so to speak, and, and they can actually build those relationships. It's a starting point. A crib will not save the trajectory of of this mom's life with her child, but it can be a starting point to say, hi, we are in your community, and we're a church down the street, and we care for you. And and that's just one way of reconciliation Mm -hmm. that we're finding. The demand is actually coming more from the agencies we're finding because they want more of the church. And even though they're skeptical of the church, they're saying, we want more of that. Mm. Because wow. there's no hidden agendas. We're not putting tracks under the crib, <laughs> right? We're just helping churches to, to be the hands and feet of Christ. Hmm. So I encourage the listeners to, to check that out on our website, careimpact.ca. You'll see the, the Care Portal tab. We're currently in a few communities across Canada. Winkler, we've just started there. Winnipeg is our largest site. If you're a church in Winnipeg, we need more churches. Churches are the slowest to, to join because it requires 24-7 sacrifice, right? and availability, and it doesn't fit into their program because the needs are driven by the the children and families hmm. and social services, and it doesn't fit into neat packages within the church. Hmm. But that's a challenge out there. I'm a challenger. So we have Winkler, Winnipeg, Regina. Uh, we do have some activity in Niagara and in Leamington. We've just started their small activity. They're just sprouting, and which we're excited about. And then Hamilton, we're doing a lot of work with the Catholics. And to be continued, it's a long journey. None of this happens quickly. When you see a dot on the map that Care Portal is active in that city, that's because years of work has gone into building those relationships. And so Mm -hmm. I invite listeners to pray with us and for the church and for the agencies, for the children and families in these communities. Our vision is to see it go nationwide so that the church can rise up. And we know, you know, that the, the disproportionality of Indigenous people, not because they can't make it on their own, it's just because they're still suffering from generations and generations of oppression. Mm-hmm. And this is one way that the church can rise up. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners? Just in, especially to follow up on everything that you've just said about the care portal, is just to recognize how interconnected all of this is. You know, your um, success rates in in school, your representation in, you know, in justice systems and in care and the housing, housing shortages, that, that lack of housing, that crisis, infrastructure, inequality gaps on reserve, healthcare, and the inequitable access to proper basic healthcare. All of these things, these are all interconnected issues that are a direct result of colonialism and, yeah. and largely, to a large extent, of the Indian Act, because the Indian Act was never never designed to be a long-term solution to anything. It was, it was designed to kill the Indian and the child. Exactly. It had one purpose, and that was to eliminate indigenous, to eliminate Indians as a distinct legal category. And to eliminate them altogether and have there be nothing but just Canadian status all across Canada, that was its only purpose. And so when we look at all these problems that we see with uh, children in care and people with 
all these different life challenges, inequitable access to housing, healthcare, justice, and so on. It's all it's all a result of a system that was never intended to work in in the first place, for which there are there's a need for major major solutions, and we can't get there until we have people that recognize that and and have buy-in and yeah. investing in these solutions. And dare I say the child welfare system, and I'm not here to harp on them, mm. but it wasn't meant to parent children and to raise the outfall of residential schools. It just wasn't created for that. And I know we've been building a lot of relationships and we have difficult conversations. We're not going back in history and repeating it. We're going deep. We're saying, how can we journey differently? Uh, having beautiful conversations with leaders that want to go forward in a different way, but the system wasn't raised to to raise these children. Mm-hmm. And these are hard conversations. And I think it's easy for uh, the public and even the church to point a finger at at the the systems and say, government, you should do a better job. Mm-hmm. But I often remind, particularly because I feel like as a sister to my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility to challenge each other in our thinking and say, you know what, the system is there for the areas that the church is not. If you look historically, it was the early church that took in the widows, the orphans, the, the foreigners, the oppressed, and they were the ones to raise up a new standard of value and dignity for humankind that no one else was doing. It was radical. They were doing radical things. But here in Canada, we become so socialist. We're saying the government should do it. And we can fall into actually having more of a Canadian secular mindset within the church than knowing our own theology. And I think if we were not so theologically here, I'm going on my soapbox, but if Mm. if we as pastors and leaders, I'm calling them out as well, and if we as congregation members were not so biblically illiterate, we would know that actually the church is called to care. Not as ones that come with heroes, capes, and and coming in and, and saving the day, but ones who walked with like Jesus did, who, who sat with and was present with others that were oppressed and brought hope and healing, not condemnation and, and salvation in the sense of we're going to fix you and rescue you, right? Jesus is with the oppressed. We know that. And I, I often challenge the church saying, if you want more of Jesus, who wants more of Jesus? And they're like, yeah, we want more of Jesus. That's great. Well, we already know that Jesus is with the oppressed, the marginalized. We often think that we need to have those people. We need to go out to those people because they need Jesus. Well, actually, it, it's, it could be mutual. Mm-hmm. As we reach out to the oppressed and, and the mom that is challenged in wanting her children back, as we were reaching out to that youth that's aging out of care, you name it, or that grandma that just took in some, some of her grandchildren, as we welcome and sacrifice our own life in that and give of ourselves to that, we actually are in the presence of Christ and we actually see Jesus more clearly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You Sorry, know. I got a little preachy there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's things that need to be said and heard. And I think, and I haven't touched too much on on sort of the other hat of, you know, Director of Economic Development and, yes. and, and working for a First Nation, but... I mean, I work alongside some incredibly brilliant, skilled, and talented people, and there's no shortage of good ideas in terms of how to solve problems. But it was put really well by Chief Bob Joseph, who said that a lot of times we're just managing poverty, you know? And so you can have the greatest ideas, but you just have to choose what's the best one, you know? What's the best idea here and the best idea there? And you can't choose all of them to solve all the problems, you know? And so... That goes back to my point about how the interconnectedness of it all is is recognizing that as we come together and we solve a problem in one area, it's the beginnings of a solution in another area, and it relieves the stress and the need for resources in another area. And uh, it's all connected geographically with this First Nation, that First Nation, whether you're off First Nation, all of the help is part of one big, massive, huge problem. And so when people start to rise up, come together, share their resources, and contribute to to just one person's life at a time. You're contributing to the solution to the whole problem as a whole, which is something insurmountable and difficult to imagine. But all of us can imagine helping one person, and I think it's to each and every one of us's best interest to do that and help that one person, one person at a time. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's so much there that resonates with me, and it just reminds me of my greatest professors 
in this field. When Harold and myself quit our jobs to start Care Impact in 2013, we didn't know a whole lot. I'll be the first to say we'd done a whole lot in our past with the Salvation Army and previous overseas uh, ministry experiences, and we'd studied a whole lot. But our greatest professors were the ones that showed up at our door, that came into our home. They were moms that were struggling through mental health issues. They were students that needed a place to stay. There were people that had gone through so much trauma and abuse and and some that became our children. We have six children and uh, four of them through adoption. And, and I have to say, with all honesty, they have been my greatest professors in knowing the love of Christ. Hmm. And I feel like I, I haven't really even been able to give adequately to what they have offered me because they've opened my eyes to what the love of God is, how he can be a healer. They've opened my eyes to really need God. Sometimes we don't actually need God. He's just a superficial, uh, beautiful thing that we go to on Sundays. But he's actually used these people to teach me what it means to love and what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to need him if he doesn't show up. And God is faithful. I thank you so much, Jim, for coming and taking this time out of your busy schedule to come onto the Journey with Care podcast. We are so appreciative of the work you're doing. We will be following and sharing the things you're doing in this new campaign that's coming up again. And so thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real-life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Be sure to like, follow, and share. Special thanks to host Melvina Gabosch, ARC podcast engineer Johan Heinrichs, and donors who help make this show possible. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage with child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or to learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or click the link in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time.